we are in a sermon series we've been doing since the beginning of this year, uh, titled, we call it The Books, which is a reference to the Bible being not just one book, but a whole entire collection of books, um, 66 to be exact, actually two collections of books, Hebrew scriptures and Christian scriptures. And we've been studying these books, and we've been talking the last couple of weeks about the Hebrew patriarchs. These are the founding people, the very first, uh, the starters of the, he- the nation of Israel, who were the first ones, right? And we're talking about their journey. And as we do, um, we're going to finish this part of it up next week, the patriarchs. We'll actually finally finish Genesis next week uh, and move on into uh, It'll go a lot quicker. There are so many characters to understand in this first book. But anyhow, we talked a lot about, you know, the first, you know, promised patriarchs of the nation of Israel. Uh, you have Abraham and, and Sarah, then their children, Isaac and Rebekah. And then last week they had twins, Esau and Jacob. And we left off with kind of Esau a little bit, kind of learning some things from his story. And today we're going to focus on Jacob. Now i got to warn you. You already know I can get, you know, going here for a while and I talk fast as well. Today I got to fight against the clock in my brain, so I don't want to keep you here long, which means I might talk faster to you, and that's not good either. I'll do both. I'll talk fast and keep you long. I don't know. But anyhow, it's a lot to cover because Jacob is the subject matter today. And just so as you know, there are 50 chapters in Genesis. Guess how many Jacob is a part of? Jacob is born in chapter 26 and he, he's laid to rest in chapter 50. So half of the book of Genesis, and we're going to try and fly through high points of his life today. Okay, we're going to miss some things. We're going to skip some things. We can't cover it all. That's why your homework assignment, should you choose to accept it, is to go home and read Genesis 26 through 50 this week because you're going to miss a lot in my, but I'm going to throw a lot at you. So I hope that you're ready for it. Got the coffee in hand, or if, you, if not, there's some back there. And um, here we go. But Jacob was complex. I want you to understand something about Jacob. He was, they're all complex the last couple of weeks. Complex people. And God was good. And they were people of faith, but not always. They were people, good people, but not always. But God was good. But Jacob, of all of the characters in Genesis, he is maybe the most complex. He's very driven, which is good. He's very driven. He's very controlling. Well, it's not always so good, right? And he's very blessed because of God's goodness. We're going to see a lot today. And I'm going to tell you other things that we won't actually read for sake of time. When we left off last week, Jacob had just conned his brother Esau out of the birthright. And um, we kind of talked about Esau losing his birthright to Jacob. We talked about it through the lens of, basically the lens was that Esau made a bad trade. We know that, right? But, but we don't talk about Jacob on that end. Jacob kind of made a, a rotten deal. And I know it was all fair in love and war. Isn't that how it goes? I mean, I, people do that all the time. We're like, hey, if I take advantage of people, it's their fault for letting me. And if I didn't, someone else would anyhow, so it's okay. You know, it's, it's easy for us to ju- justify sometimes. And Jacob took advantage of Esau's bad decision-making to, to, to trade the birthright for a bowl of soup, you know. And then he tricked his father who intended to bless Esau anyway and deceived his father to get the blessing. And so Esau wanted to kill Jacob, as you remember last week, and and Jacob ran for his life. And actually, his parents sent him away. Mom wanted him to leave until Esau calmed down. And dad and mom agreed together that he should go back to where they came from and find a wife from their people. So, So Jacob takes off, and we pick up the story today. And here we go. Genesis 28, verse 10 says, Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba... And traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp, and he stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. That doesn't sound very comfortable to me, but hey, you do what you gotta do. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth. Up to heaven. So picture that, folks. It's like a ZZ Top song or something. I don't know. He's, he's like, um, looks up and there's a stairway from earth up to heaven. And he's like, what in the world? And he sees angels of God going up and down the stairway. And at the top of the stairway stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father uh, uh, Father Isaac. Now I'm going to quickly pause there and make an observation. Um, am I on the right slide here? Okay. 
Yes, I'm the God of your father Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. Here's what I want you to notice here. In the story, Jacob had never yet quite made God his God. If you were to read, we didn't point this out last week, but I want you to notice this. In an earlier conversation from last week's story, Jacob had said to his dad, Isaac, your God did something. He referred to him as your, not my God, your God, not, not our God, your God. So Jacob was never identifying himself as calling God his God. And so God comes to Jacob in those terms and says, I'm the God of your grandfather. I'm the God of your father. Obviously, he was, he's, God of, he's Lord of all. But he's saying to Jacob, I want you to acknowledge that too, but you're not there. And then he says to him, the ground that you're lying on, he's, he's sleeping right now, he's having a vision. The ground you're lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. And Jacob's done nothing for this other than con the birthright, which I guess he did something for it. But as far as for God's favor and blessing, that was on his grandfather Abraham. And God says, the promises I gave to Abraham to make his descendants a great seed, I'm going to give to your descendants. And this very ground you're lying on will be your nation. Verse 14, God says, your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and through your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. And one day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. So Jacob is promised a whole bunch of awesome stuff by God. No strings are attached. I want you to see that. No, no strings are attached. God just says, it's all coming your way. As I promised your grandfather and your dad, it's all coming your way. I want you to see Jacob's response because this, this is a, one of a few glimpses into his journey. Just like last week when he was a trickster and his mom helped him be a trickster with his dad. He's, you're seeing glimpses into who he was. Look at his response in verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. He was actually afraid, it says, of that dream. He builds an altar there. And in verse 19, it says that he named that place Bethel. Bethel means the house of God, although it was previously called Luz. In other words, he saw God on a staircase and he's like, this must be where God lives. This is his, this is his magical portal to the other place, you know? And house of God right here. Then, here's what I want you to notice. Then Jacob made this vow. Here's what Jacob says to God. If, if, you, if God will indeed be with me, which he promised he would, and protect me on this journey, which he promised he would, and if he will provide me with food and clothing or otherwise enrich me, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this is one of the early contrasts you can see between Jacob and his grandpa. Grandpa Abraham, when God came to him, he said to Abraham, I'm gonna make a great nation out of you. Abraham had no kids. He said, Abraham, just go. Go where I'm gonna tell you to go. And trust me, and I'm going to take you. And, and Abraham had nothing yet. No, no, no fulfillment, no blessings, just a promise of a future. But in faith, he left his homeland and went where God told him to go. He believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. But he went first. And then he waited a long time once he got there for the promises. But Jacob's not, the, not his grandpa. Jacob's over here saying, I'll tell you what, God, if you'll do what you promised you'll do, you haven't done it yet, so I don't know, but if you're good for your word and you'll do those things for me, once you do all those things and enrich me and bless me down the line, then, then you'll be my God. Then I'm on. Not, I'm not gonna go in faith and trust that you'll take care of it. I'm gonna wait for you to do what I want and then I'll make a deal with you. I told you earlier that Jacob is driven and controlling. We saw it with his brother. We saw it with his dad. We see it here. But manipulative, Oh, you know, got to work the relationship to his advantages all the time and, and think about it. And this is who, just who he was in his journey. He even adds in verse 22, and this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. If God does all this for me, I'll give him a tithe back at the end. But, but Jacob is basically bargaining with God in a different vein than his parents and his grandparents did. But that's just who he was. We're going to come back to more of that in a while. So don't forget that. Jacob heads off to, to Haran. He encounters Rachel, Laban's, Uncle Laban's daughter. He encounters her along the way. And then he comes to Laban's house and he stays at Laban's house, Uncle Laban's house, 
uh, to, to, again, wait for his brother to calm down, maybe get, get married while he's out here. He's away. And along the way, it says in Genesis 29, 14, after, Laban, after, I'm sorry, after Jacob had stayed with Laban for about a month, Laban said to him, you should not work for me without pay just because we're relatives. Tell me how much your wages should be. In other words, if you're going to be here, besides room and board and just staying with me, let me pay you and put you to work here if you're going to stay a while. Now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah, and the younger one was Rachel. So two daughters, two sisters, older one Leah, younger one Rachel. Okay, check this out. In verse 17, it says, There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Now, I don't know exactly what that means in the first part. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. Uh, I grew up in the King James translation translates that she had tender eyes. Uh, another translation says she was doe-eyed. Another translation says she had weak eyes or soft eyes. Here she has no sparkle in her eyes. I don't know exactly what that means. Maybe she had really bad eyes, had really thick coke-rimmed glasses. I don't know. I don't know what the no sparkle means. But I do know that it's a contrast to Rachel. It says, but, so the contrast, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. So whatever Rachel was, Leah, it was sparkle-less. That's, that's all I know. Okay. Anyhow, it says in verse 18, since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. And this is a peculiar bargain to me for, for Jacob because Jacob was known to be the king of good deals for himself. Remember he traded his brother a bowl of soup for his birthright? I mean, you know what I'm saying? He's pretty much a, a, a good bargainer. This one kind of strikes me as odd, like seven years to, for your daughter. I mean, can't you just elope? I don't know. But anyhow, he makes this deal with Laban, and Laban loves it. In fact, Laban says in verse 19, agreed. I'd rather give her to you than to anyone else. Stay and work with me. And here's why. Because Laban was around as a younger man when Laban's sister Rebecca was taken by Isaac, Jacob's dad's family, back to be Isaac's bride. He was there watching the servant swoop into town, tell her the news, she agrees, and they're gone with a few gifts left behind. And now he's got his daughters here, and he's like, this guy gonna, this Yehu's gonna come in here and do what, you know? So he's all waiting to see what's gonna happen, and Jacob's like, I'll work seven years for her. And he's like, I get seven years of work out of you, and you're sticking around for at least seven years? Deal. We got a deal. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel. I know it's weird, right? It's the culture the way it was then. It's different. I don't want to do that kind of stuff now. We should. I have daughters now. Anyhow, no. But Jacob, <laughs> so Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's a pretty cool thing. He, he loved her so much, the seven years was a breeze. Guys, there's, there's, something to, there's something right there for you to think about, right? Girls, there's something for you to think about that Jacob was willing to wait. And it says seven years. They weren't like shacking up, waiting to make it official at the Justice of the Peace seven years later. He literally was interested in dating or whatever that looks like without having her for seven years. A lot of guys would lose interest. He worked for seven years and he said it was a breeze. It was a breeze because he loved her so much. I wish all you girls would, would have enough self-esteem to yourself as you just say, I am worth someone waiting for. So many times I feel like um, if you're not careful, some guy's going to come around and he's going to not respect your boundaries or your faith or your family or something like that in your life because he wants something. And if you're not, if you're not secure in yourself, you're going to be like, I got to let him do whatever he wants because if I don't, I might just, I might he might lose interest and get bored and move on. If, if, if respecting your boundaries and your faith and who you are makes him lose interest and move on, he did you a favor. Because at some point he might have you and he might, get in, he might lose interest someday after, after you're together and move on too. Get bored. Okay? So, 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 so don't, don't, don't buy that. You're, you're worth it. Say, look, this is who I am. And, and, and is it worth doing what you got to do to pursue a relationship with me? Or do you have to have something else? But Jacob said, seven years, no problem. It was a breeze. I loved her so much. It was worth it. it was wor she was worth the wait. I love that. Well, anyhow, finally, the time came for him to marry her. 
I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so that I can sleep with her. So we have no qualms about what he was waiting for, do we? Okay, there's no question here. He says, it's time now, seven years now. Come on, baby. And um, so Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. And it was a feast. It was an all-out party. Okay, a celebration of all sorts. And I'm pretty sure there's a lot of drinking involved. You see, why do you think that? You're about to find out. It says in verse 23, but that night, but that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. Now there's a lot of questions that come from this part of the story right here. First of all, Leah, he was working for Rachel. He, Dad brought sparkle less Leah to him that night. And how did that work? Like, how did that work, okay? I mean, how did he pull that off without being, you say, well, I think there's a couple of reasons. Maybe reason one is because there was no electricity back then. They weren't flipping on the lights and, oh, wow, it was, it was dark and the candles. But even then, you should have been able to tell. But I have a feeling that Laban got, got Jacob a little drunk, you know. And everyone was drinking out of that feast an awful lot. So by the time it was very dark and, and Jacob was a bit sloshed, I mean, at that point in time, you know, he didn't know the difference. So, he goes in and he sleeps. And that was important that he slept with her because this is how they consummated the marriage. It wasn't no justice of the peace and some state licensing to approve. You, you came together this way was your commitment. This is how marriage, <laughs> this is what it was. So for him to sleep with her, to, to do the deed, so to speak, is what made them official. And so he got Jacob's beer goggles on and he tricked him that night and he ends up with Leah. Now it says Laban had given Leah a servant named Zilpah to be her maid. Now, Zilpah was probably a teenage girl at the time, and, and their family's wealthy. They're all wealthy. Abraham was wealthy, the whole family. And he gives her a maid, says, this is your servant to Leah to take care of her as a bridal present. Verse 25, but when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. Talking about the all-time classic surprise moments right there. Like, what happened, you know? And he's upset, understandably so. He thought he had an arrangement. He says, what have you done to me? Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. I know what I signed up for. Why have you tricked me? And Laban gives him his reason. He says, well, it's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. To which Jacob may have said, well, that would have been a nice thing for you to tell me seven years ago when I first made the deal, you know? I mean, what in the world? He didn't read the fine print, apparently, you know? So, he, oh, yeah, it's our custom here. Well, I didn't know that. It made, it made a different arrangement. Maybe it would have been four years for each. I don't know. So Laban's like, no, uh, Stephen, that's not how we work around here. But then Laban adds this, but wait until the bridal week is over, and then we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work for another seven years for me. Oh, <laughs> oh I see. The con man has been conned. The trickster has been tricked. So Jacob spends a week with, with Ray, Leah, a honeymoon week of sorts, waiting, counting the days down seven days later until he gets Rachel then, one week later, and then seven more years after that. In fact, we, we read the story here. Verse 28, so Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after he married Leah, Laban gave Rachel, him Rachel too. Laban gave Rachel a servant, Bilhah, probably another young uh, or a teenage girl, to be her maid. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah, he then stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years, 14 years in total to get a wife he wanted and another one. And, and Laban is probably, you know, if I'm trying to give him something here, he was looking out for Leah because probably no one was coming around uh, courting Leah in the story, probably offering seven years of work for her. So dad was like, listen, daughter, I'm gonna take care of you. I got a plan and it's gonna involve getting Jacob drunk. It's gonna involve a late night switcheroo. It's gonna involve a few things, but I'm gonna get you married. And plus, I'm going to benefit my own self in doing so, okay? So it's a whole deal going on. And, and it says um, that um, Jacob loved Rachel. He loved, loved her much more than Leah. And what happens next is wild. I'm just going to tell you much of the story because it's a lot of verses. Basically, God looks down and sees that Leah seems pretty unloved. And though Jacob spends time with both of them, he prefers Rachel. And so Leah, God opens up her womb and she gets pregnant. She actually gets Becomes a baby factory. Rachel, however, can't seem to have kids. And this seems to be a theme the last few weeks, doesn't it? Like in Abraham's family, they struggled with fertility. Abraham and Sarah couldn't have kids for a long time until the very end they had Isaac. 
Then Isaac and Rebekah struggled for 20 years to have their kids. They probably had twin boys and that was it. And now Rachel, Jacob's wife, can't seem to get pregnant. But Leah, she got pregnant and she had a son named Reuben. Then another son named Simeon. Then another son named Levi. Then another son named Judah. And she names these kids their names all having to do with her situation. Basically, she says things like, God has saw that I'm unloved and has, has been kind to me. Now my husband will love me because I've given him a family. Now I've prevailed over my sister. And then Judah means praise. I'm going to praise the Lord. Well, about this time, Rachel's getting upset. And so in Genesis 30 and verse 1, it says, When Rachel saw that she was not having any children for Jacob, she became jealous of her sister. She pleaded with Jacob, give me children or I'll die. She's very jealous. And can you understand her jealousy? It was her and Jacob that for seven years were dating and supposed to be getting married. That was their seven-year dating plan. And then all of a sudden, apparently, probably by telling nobody until the night of the wedding, dad does a switcheroo and her sister marries her husband instead and gets a weak head start and then she marries him too. She's a little jealous. And now her sister's having all these babies and she can't seem to have any. She's a little jealous, understandably so. And she complains to Jacob, give me kids, I'm gonna die. She's not happy. But Jacob became furious with Rachel. And my God, he asked, he's the one who's kept you from having children. I want you to notice another change in Jacob from his dad and his grandpa's character. When his dad, Isaac, realized that his wife was struggling to have children, Isaac prayed for his wife and interceded with God over and over until God did something. Jacob's reaction was not to pray about it. Jacob seemed to have no particular sought-out interest in God at this point personally. Jacob's reaction is not to say, I'm going to pray to God. His reaction was to be defensive and say, I'm not God. He's mad at her. How, don't complain to me. I'm not God. It's not my fault. Don't blame me. I'm not the one that kept you from having kids. Now, why was he not as urgent to pray like his dad did for his wife? Because Jacob already had kids. He's like, I have plenty of kids with your sister, so that's your problem. It's not my, it's not my fault. It just shows a, a part of who he was and how he approached the circumstances here as he moved on. Well, Rachel has a suggestion. She says, take my maid, who's now a young adult by this point because it's been several years and kids have been born. Take my maid and, and sleep with her and have children with her and they'll be kind of with me because she's my maid so they'll be my team. I know it's weird, right? This is the world it was. This is the world it was. And so he does and the maid has a, a baby boy and she gets pregnant again with Jacob. Jacob's like, okay, you know. Has another son, two sons. About that time, Leah over here, who had four sons, is like, hey, I'm, I'm, done. I'm not having kids lately. Jake, and now my sister's having some through her maid. Hey, hu husband, take my maid, who's now a young adult too, and have kids with her. Jacob's like, okay, you know. So he takes, she gets pregnant, has a baby boy. She gets pregnant again, has another son. And I know this is all creepy stuff. It's like Handmaid Tale type stuff, you know. It's like a Hulu series or something here, I know. But here's the deal. Um, understand something that, and you have, to, you have to read these things through the lens of the time it was. It's not like today where if we went to something, some world like that, it would be like regressive and barbaric from the Western sensibilities of equal rights that we know today. They didn't ever knew that. There was no comparison point. Women never had property. Uh, they couldn't own property. They didn't run industry. There's a lot of caste system. There was slavery. It was a different world back then. And these maids, as bad as this was, it wasn't like they came from knowing what we know in our Western sensibilities. It's not like they came from a, an era of rights and then lost it all and felt like they were put into a barbaric situation. This was the world everywhere they lived in. And in a lot of ways, getting with Jacob for both of these maids is not, it's not good as we know today, but in that culture, not knowing anything different, the one upside for them was it was security because they had some security because they were now mother to his children. So they gave them some, some, some place. Gave them a, the most secure spot in, in culture they would have had with their station of life. And Jacob's just having babies with all these women. And then about that time, one day, the oldest boy, Leah's oldest son, Reuben, comes in from the field with something called mandrakes, which apparently were something that they could use for some different things uh, in, in culture, including they thought they were fertility helps. That was believed to help for fertility. And Rachel, who can't have any kids, says to her sister, give me some of your son's mandrakes. I want to try and figure out why I can't have kids. And Leah says to her sister, oh yeah, first you steal my husband, now I'm going to steal my son's mandrakes. And she's like, steal your husband? He was in love with me first and you got ahead of me? Well, I married him first anyhow. I mean, you know, right. So finally, Rachel makes a deal, says, I'll tell you what, give me your son's mandrakes, you can sleep with him tonight because he prefers me. 
So, so Leah comes in and grabs Jacob by the collar and says, you're mine tonight, big boy. And she gets pregnant again. And she has another son. She gets pregnant again, has another son. She gets pregnant again, has a daughter. Six boys and a girl now. And finally, in verse 22, it says, then God remembered Rachel's plight and answered her prayers by enabling her to have children. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. God has removed my disgrace, she said. And she named him Joseph. For she said, may the Lord add yet another son to my family. So she says, as I'm giving birth, I'm going to name my son. The other sister named her sons to something about overcoming me and God looking out for her. I'm going to name my son Joseph with the stigma of God's going to give me another one. I'm not content yet. Because she wanted her children, understandably. And now Jacob has 11 sons and a daughter. And it wasn't because he was this awesome guy. It was through no work of his own. Well, some work of his own, I guess. But it was not, anyhow, it was, it was not because, God, it was because God was being good. And besides that, it was because his grandfather had such faith that God was promising of a family and Jacob's the beneficiary. And, and practically speaking, it was because he, he, his uncle tricked him into marrying two sisters who went into a whole baby competition war. And because of their rivalry, he's just like, you know, I got a big family, man. He's going crazy on him. Well, he ends up finishing his 14 years working for his uncle. At the end of 14 years, his uncle says, hey, God is blessing me by you working here. You're a great person to have working here for me. What do you want your wages to be now? So Jacob says, I want you to give me some of the sheep, not very many, certain kind of your sheep. You keep the rest and that'll be my, my pay for working for you. And again, it was a great deal for Laban, it seemed like. And Laban's like, you got a deal. Jacob separates part of the flock with his sons. He takes care of Laban's flocks by, uh, and his own separately. But Jacob's got his own tricks. And I don't have time to get into this whole story. But Jacob has his own tricks and how he breeds and how he makes sure that the sheep get inseminated. And he ends up um, getting his own sheep to grow in number, to be strong and abundant. And at some point, Laban realizes that Jacob's flocks are growing more than his. So he changes the arrangement over and over again. But every time he does it, Jacob's also got a plan to make sure he's breeding them a certain way. And it's a big story. Basically, he keeps coming out ahead. They're, just, they're, they're trying to con, they're trying to get advantage of each other. But, but Jacob keeps winning. And finally, six years later, it's been 20 years Jacob's been working there now. Laban's adult sons are getting upset that Jacob's gotten so wealthy off of their backs. Laban's getting upset and Jacob's like, it's time to leave Dodge. So he goes to his wives and says, hey, I think, you know, he basically spins a story. I've been a perfect gentleman. Your dad's been a jerk all this time. I'm a great guy, you know. And so we need to leave and get out of here to see my family. And the, the girls are like, we don't care. He pawned us off for years of work. I mean, so we're just toys to him apparently. So we're with you, man. So, so they sneak out one night and leave, take all their stuff, all their care. They just take off one day. And Laban, when he figures it out, gets his armed men and chases after them to chase them down. But as he's getting close, God warns Laban in a dream, don't lay one finger on Jacob or his family. So when he gets there, they have this heated conversation, little accusations back and forth. You stole from me. You, you've taken advantage of me. You've, 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 che you, you've cheated the system. You changed the rules. I mean, it's just this whole thing. And finally, as they talk, Jacob, Laban realizes that he's losing. Jacob is yelling at some point there. He's just like telling them off. And Laban realizes he's lost the battle. Jacob's walking away with his family, his kids, and everyone's gone. And in that moment, he has to do something. Verse uh, Genesis 31, 43, Laban replied to Jacob, these women, they're my daughters. These children are my grandchildren. These flocks are my flocks. In fact, everything you see is mine. You got it all from me. And he he's pivoting in a moment to realize that he's lost control. And Jacob has the, the upper hand and he's walking away. And so he does what people do in those moments. He pivots. He says, but what can I now do about my daughters and my, grandchildren and my children? So come. Let's make a covenant. You and I be a witness of our covenant. And they made a deal. It's a long story. I don't have time to get into all the meaning of it. But basically, they made, they made peace. Because Jacob is like, see ya. And when they're done, they, he walks away and never comes back with the whole family. Because Jacob had control still. And he's been doing that all his life. And Laban had none anymore. But Jacob's still going on. He heads back home and he prepares to meet. But here's one thing Jacob is afraid of is his brother Esau. Esau is trying to kill him. So he sends a messenger ahead and says, tell Esau I'm coming home. 
And the messenger comes back and says, oh, your brother heard you're coming home. He's coming to meet you with a couple hundred armed soldiers, armed men and servants of his. Oh, great. He's going to kill me still. So Jacob is terrified. He breaks his family into two groups and says if he attacks the one, maybe the other one can get away. And they're getting ready to cross the river one night to prepare to, to sleep and the next day finally meet Esau. And Jacob is terrified. And the story goes in Genesis 32, 22, that during the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two, let's start over again. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two sister wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons across the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all of his possessions. And this left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the break Dawn began to break. And this is a little bit we're going to see in the story before we read it here. This apparently is, some, is the Lord. This man is the Lord in some way wrestling with Jacob. And it's a, a weird thing. And it could be a whole sermon on this one point. I don't have time for that. But let me just talk about it for a minute here. The Lord's wrestling with Jacob. This man is wrestling with Jacob. Now, it doesn't seem like a very even match, you wouldn't think. But Jacob seems to be holding his own. And the best way I can explain this to you is if you're a mom or a dad and you've ever raised kids of your own, you ever wrestle with your kids, mom or dad, when they're little? And, and you're wrestling and you know you can take them. You know you can take them whenever you want to, but you're going a little easy on them so they think it's a fair contest. They're going to think that they're competing with you, but you know that you, you got another gear. And if you go to the next gear, it's over, over. But you got to be careful because you're stronger than them and you might accidentally hurt them, so you're, you're walking this line. And if they're getting too rambunctious, you can take it up a notch and show them who's, who's really got the strength. Well, Jacob's wrestling with the Lord. And he seems to be doing okay, on the terms they're wrestling under. Verse 25 says, when the man saw that he could not win the match on that level, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. Jacob was not letting him go. He, he does something and wrenches Jacob's hip out of socket. And, and, and he's trying to get away. In fact, in the next verse, it says this. The man said, let me go for dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So the man's like, I can make you, but obviously I can hurt you. you ever, it's like a UFC match where someone's just beaten, and the person's like, just tap out, man, but they won't tap out. Look, if I keep doing it, I'm going I'm to take you unconscious, or I'm going to break something, so tap out. I'm not going to tap out. Here's Jacob, and the, and, and the man's like, let me go. I've already knocked your hip out a second. Let me go. I'm not letting you go. I'm not tapping out until you bless me. He's tenacious. And so, what is your name, the man asked. He replied, my name is Jacob. Your name your name will no longer be Jacob, the man said. From now on, you will be called Israel. Did you catch it? From now on, you will be called Israel. That's where it comes from. It's Jacob's name that was given to him here. Why? Because you have fought with God and with men and have won. In other words, the Lord says to him, in your entire life, everywhere you go is a struggle for you. You fight for everything you want and you fight hard and you get your way with, with, with man, with me, Israel. We'll come back to that later too. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. And Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. And the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. But he got what he wanted anyhow. You know, he, it cost him something, but he got it, you know. And he wrestled. He got his way. He fought for everything he wanted in his whole life with God, with man, with his uncle, with his brother, with his dad, with God himself. Well, at some point, God says to Jacob, I want you to go back to the place we first met when I appeared to you and made promises, one-way promises to you. So Jacob heads back there. In Genesis 35, verse 6, it says, Eventually, Jacob and his household arrived at Luz, also called Bethel. Remember, he named it Bethel. Bethel means what? House of God. He arrived back at Bethel in Canaan. Jacob built an altar there, and he named the place, he renamed the place, El Bethel. El Bethel means the God of Bethel. Because God had appeared to him when he was fleeing from his brother Esau. He said, when I first came here, I called this place the house of God. But now I'm going to call it the God of the house of God. Now this is important because in Jacob's crazy story, this might be the most faith that, that Jacob ever demonstrated. 
I want you to see this because this is probably Jacob's best faith moment in his personal life. Okay? He comes to a spot where 20 years ago, he's just like, God bless me, and if you do, I'll, well, I'll come around one day and, and give you something back. I'll give you my heart back, you know? But now he's coming to God and saying, I've 20 years of life, I'm coming to you, and I'm not looking at this as the house of God anymore. I'm looking at the God of the house of God. I'm looking at the God that I want to bless me. I'm, looking, I'm not looking at the blessings I want, the blessings I want from God. I'm looking at the God of the blessings. And I want to say that because it's such an interesting moment that Jacob has with God, and I think it's important for you and me. So let me just park here and say this. If you are in this room and you're on your own faith journey, right? You're on your own faith journey. Whatever that looks like. Here's what I want to say. It's a good day in your life when your relationship with God pivots away from just a religious nature to make you feel better about yourself or get you prominence or um, a prosperity arrangement to get you blessings. When our, our relationship with God changes from saying, God bless me, God bless me. If I do this, God will bless me. If I do this, I can play the game and get what I want in life. If God is good. When you move away from that thinking and you move it into a relationship with him. It's a good day in your faith journey. Because God wants relationship with us. And that's why he blesses us in the first place. He wants that relationship. He cares about us. And when we can say, I'm going to pivot from looking at the blessings of God and desiring the blessings of God, and instead I'm going to come to say, I want the God of the blessings. I want the God of the blessings. I don't come to the house of God. I come to see the God of the house of God. I don't want the blessings of God. I want the God of the blessings. I want a relationship with him. That is the centerpiece of what we're, we're aiming for. And that's a good day in your faith journey when God becomes personal to you on your way. Well, Jacob is now going to go through a stage of his life he's never been through next. So we're kind of just jumping through some stories here. But Jacob, after this story, he now heads down a path for the first time in his life. It's a path that he's not familiar with. It's a path of losing and a path of losing control. Genesis 35, 16 says, Leaving Bethel, Jacob and his clan move on toward Ephrath. But Rachel went into labor while they were some distance away still, and her labor pains were very intense. Now listen, here's what I want you to see here. Rachel got pregnant again. She wanted another child after Joseph was born, and she got pregnant again. But she's going to die this time. She's not going to survive childbirth, which is not as uncommon then as it is now. Verse 17 says, after a very hard delivery, the midwife finally exclaimed, don't be afraid, you have another son. Rachel was about to die. But with her last breath, she named the baby Benoni, which means son of my sorrow, because she knows what's happening. But the baby's father, however, called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a stone monument over Rachel's grave, and it can be seen there to this day. It's very interesting because they had a family burial plot. We'll talk about this later. A family burial plot, we saw it last couple weeks. And, and they usually transported people wherever they were, including far distances away, as we'll see, to the burial plot. But Jacob doesn't transport Rachel there. He buries her right there by Bethlehem, makes a stone for her, and just buries her there. Just an interesting observation. I don't have any point to make other than for you to notice that. And from there on, Jacob begins to go through loss. Jacob begins to experience something that all of us experience if we live long enough. And if you're older, what I'm about to say, if you're older, you're going to understand what I'm talking about. And if you're younger, you might not get this yet, but I hope that you'll log this away and think about it. That as we get older, life begins to be about losing control. You see, when you're young, it's all about getting control. When you're young, you're like, I want to get out of my parents' house and be my own person. I'm make my own rules, do what I want, go where I want. You get out, and then you realize you're, you know, got to work your job and obey someone's rules to get paid. But, you know, still, I'm a, it's my life, my decisions. I'm, no one's telling me to curfew. I mean, it's, it's getting your own life and your freedom. And then you fall in love and you get married to find a husband, find a wife, uh, and you have a family if you, if you do. And then you're in your kingdom. And yes, your kingdom is exhausting sometimes. And the days are long, but the years are short. And you, and you live those, that kingdom of your life. And it's wonderful. And you're, you're, the, you're on top. But at some point for all of us, we lose control. We start losing control. That's what happens. 
depending how we parent. Maybe when they're teenagers and we start coaching more and controlling less. Or maybe we're very controlling as parents as teenagers, and that's fine. But then, as adults, they get to make their own decisions. And just like you did, desire their own way. You can't always make them do what you want, act like you want, go where you want. And you learn to cope with a loss of control, Right? And then life becomes that way slowly until we die. Eventually, we lose our health gets worse. We lose control of our, we'll lose our driving privileges someday. Someday we lose our, our home sometimes and put somewhere else and all the way to the end. And, 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 and that's a drastic extremes, but along the way, we learn that we can't always control everything like we once could. It's about learning to cope with that. And Jacob is about to go through a whole bunch of that. He lost his, the wife, the, the wife he loved, the one he wanted, Rachel, is now dead, giving birth to her second child. Then his nurse, Deborah, actually Deborah was his mom's nurse, but mom sent Deborah with him when he went to his uncle Laban's house 20-some years ago. And now she was like a second mom to him. She dies, he buries her. His dad, Isaac, outlived everyone's expectations. His dad finally dies. He has a relationship with his dad now. Dad finally dies, he buries his dad. His oldest son, Reuben, through his wife, Leah, sleeps with one of his maids and has intimacy with her which is really goofed up. And Jacob knows about it. He's angry, but he can't do anything about it. Everyone's too old and too independent. His daughter becomes friends with a prince of a nearby city, not a good bunch of people. And in in, in befriending this prince, she ends up getting a spot where the prince then pushes beyond her desires and consent and rapes her. And Jacob's upset, but can't do anything about it. Then two of his boys go on a revenge kick and go off and kill a bunch of people because of it. And Jacob chews them out and says, how dare you? But they just mouth off to him and say, you know, we're going to stand up for our sister whether you like it or not, basically. And Jacob can't do anything about it. And then at some point, his boys all grow up to be rough kids and he's, he's frustrated with all of them. They're just all difficult. But he has one favorite son, Joseph, who he loves because it's the oldest son of his dead wife, Rachel, who he loved. So he spoils Joseph rotten, and Joseph grows up to be 17 years old, and one day his other sons come back, the rough ones, with Joseph's coat that dad gave him, covered in blood, and says, apparently your son Joseph's dead. And he mourns so deeply that he says, I will never get over it until the day I die. Never. And it's bad. And then 20 years from there, 20 years after that, a famine strikes the land, and he sends his sons over to Egypt because he hears there's food there, and they come back and say that the person thought they were spies and they put his other son, Simeon, in prison there and won't let them come back for more food when the food runs out unless they bring their youngest brother, Benjamin, whom they mentioned that they had with them. And he's like, you're not taking Benjamin. I'm not letting them go. So he holds off stubbornly, but as they're starving, they finally say, Dad, you got to. And he's, he chews them out. You put me in a bad spot. He's mad at them. They insist. They take him anyhow. He just says, if I lose him, I lose him. And he's just going through a season of life where the control's gone that he always fought to have. Now, it gets good for him here because about that time, he finds out that Joseph is not really dead. He's actually alive and running Egypt. And we're going to get to Joseph's story next week, so hang on. But um, he's so excited that he's brought to Egypt before he dies to see Joseph. And as he's brought there to see him, he, um, he is brought in front of King Pharaoh himself. In Genesis 47, verse 7, I want you to notice this phrase and this wording. Uh, Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? How old are you? In other words, Pharaoh's just fascinated by Jacob. He's like, this guy is the father of this awesome guy, Joseph, that I love. Tell me, how old are you, sir? And here's what Jacob says, and I want you to notice this. Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. That Joseph says, Jacob says, my life has been shorter than my dad's and my grandpa's, and it's been horrible. It's been evil. Few and evil have been my life. It's been a rotten life. Really, Jacob? You mean your life, the one that God promised you at the place you called Bethel to give you a bunch of blessings that you didn't even ask for or seek and he's just blessed you because he's good? Evil life? Really, Jacob, the one who has all the kids when your granddad wanted kids but only had one in his old age and your parents only had two twin boys and they, you've been long gone? You got a whole big old family? Multiple wives and kids? Bad life, Jacob? You got wealth. You went to your Uncle Laban's house and manipulated and fought for and, and worked and got wealthy there. 
And then came back and your dad finally died. You got your double portion of your dad's inheritance and you're so well off and this land is yours. Your life has been that horrible. There was nothing good in your life. Well, it wasn't all good, was it? Is it ever all good or all bad? But Jacob's summary was, few and evil have been the years of my life. It stunk. And I just, I just want to point this out because, I, again, I, I said this earlier. Jacob was a control person. And, and at some point, we all lose control. And the problem with that is this. When we do, if, we're not, if we've not figured it out beforehand, it puts us in a bad place in our soul. You see, Jacob, next slide here. Jacob never found the sweetness of surrender. And it left him bitter. Jacob never figured out in his journey to surrender. He always figured out, I gotta win, I gotta gotta overcome, I gotta get the best of my brother, the best of my father, the best of my uncle, and I lost, I'm gonna win over that, I'm gonna walk away when I do, and he's gonna just lick his wounds. But then at some point, he could not control this narrative. And that happens to all of us. And if we're not careful, we'll alienate relationships. And Jacob's relationships were all alienated at this point. And at some point, we, if we're not careful, we just, we're left very unhappy because winning doesn't always feel good, does it? They call it sweet surrender for a number of reasons. But when you tell someone who's a control person, who manipulates the world, who, who, who gets what they want in their marriage, who gets what they want with their family, who gets what they want in their, in their workplace, in their neighborhood, in their church, in their subdivisions, they, they, they control their stuff. When you tell someone that, about surrender being sweet, they'll be like, that's a terrible idea, that's stupid. I'm just driven. And, and driven is good. Some of us should be more driven. But there's a difference between driven and controlling. There's a difference between driven and manipulative. Between driven and narcissistic. The problem is when you learn to always control your story and the people around you to your end. If you don't figure it out beforehand, at some point we lose control. And at that point, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. It's not impossible, but it's hard. And even along the way as we win, we're not really happy. Very temporary, fleeting happinesses. If we never learn to give and take to the others. Abraham did. Remember Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, when his nephew Lot was breaking up with him? And Abraham was like, I'm leaving. Abraham's like, we'll divide us, fine. Pick the land you want, I'll defer to you. I want this land, you can have, I'll, I'll defer to you. Jacob never figured that out. He just got what he wanted. And when he couldn't do it anymore, he ends up as a bitter man. When life no longer let him have the control. Here's the thing. Even when he blessed his son, his lovely son, Joseph, Joseph brought his children to his his dad, the kid's grandpa, to bless them. And Joseph wanted him to bless his oldest son first as the firstborn. But Jacob refused. Jacob says, no, I'm going to bless your secondborn instead. And Joseph says, no, dad, that's not what I want. Bless my firstborn. No, I'm going to do it my way. That's how Jacob was. Jacob said, when I was the secondborn, I hated it. And I took advantage of my brother. And, And when Jacob blessed his own kids at the end, Jacob didn't even bless his oldest children. When Jacob gives his family blessing, he actually doesn't bless his oldest three kids one time. He just grapes about them all. He blesses his fourth son, Judah, for the first time. First one gets a blessing from him. And Joseph's kids, he says, I don't care what you want, son, with your kids. I'm going to bless your kids the way I want to. He just had control issues, and when he couldn't do it, he was bitter. Few and evil have been the years of my life. And it worked for him. I'm going to say, about that, I'm going to say something about this. I've got to wrap this up. We're basically done. But please hear me. Stubborn people run the world. You know that, don't you? Stubborn people run the world. That's how it is in businesses. That's how it is in homes. That's how it is everywhere. Stubborn people run things because everyone else just figures out how to work around them and get things done around them. That's what you do. You figure out how to navigate around them and get things done because they run things. Manipulative people tend to get what they want because everyone else figures out how to just survive it and get around it. Control people get their controls. Narcissistic people get their way a lot. Until they don't someday sometimes until later on, but a lot in life, even sometimes way later in life. Stubborn people run things, but it doesn't end well here. And isn't that what matters? Well, Jacob eventually dies. In verse, chapter 49, verse 29, then Jacob instructed them. He says, soon I will die and join my ancestors. This is interesting to me. He says, bury me with my father and grandfather in the cave of the field of Ephron the Hittite. Remember that, that, that story a couple weeks ago where Abraham bought a plot of land to bury Sarah, became a family cemetery? 
Check out verse 31. Jacob says, there Abraham and his wife Sarah, my grandparents are buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah, my parents are buried. And there I buried Leah. That's interesting to me. He did take Leah back and bury her there. And he said, he's, he's all the way in Egypt. Take me back there and bury me there. Rachel didn't take her there. She's buried under a tree. But he says, when I, when I die, take me back there and bury me with Leah. What an interesting dynamic he had with these sisters, these wives of his, all the way to the end. Interesting. And this interesting people in these stories, Jacob was so complex. He was driven. Some of us ought to be more driven. It's good to be driven. Some of us need to be, uh, be a good step. But then he was more than driven. He was controlling and manipulative. That's not good. But in the end, he was blessed. He was blessed because of God's goodness and because of him. He did some good things. And, and, and God was just good to him. God was good to him because God is good. And God was good to him because his grandpa Abraham was good. And God was promising blessings down the line. And, he, and God blessed him because his wives were pretty rambunctious too. I mean, there's a lot of evidence of God's blessing went down here. But Jacob was complex. And I want to say this to you because I kind of poked at us today about watching the control factors of our lives. I know that's not all of our problems. Some of us, might, we might need to be a little more driven perhaps. That's our problem. But if you're a control person and you tend to fall on that side of things and you feel like I'm poking at you today, I am from a place of love. Here's what I want to say because Jacob teaches us this today. To hear two things from me. Number one, God loves you. God loves you. He loves you so much. He loves you for who you are. Look, listen to me. He loves you for who you are. And that doesn't mean you're perfect. God doesn't love perfect people. I have problems. You have problems. You have problems. But God loved Jacob, even though Jacob was complicated. And God loves you. And so if you're a person who you're getting bristling because someone's challenging your desire to keep things under tight control, don't, get, don't mishear me. You are loved by God. You're loved by me. God will bless you. In fact, you'll probably get things done, a lot of things done the way you want them done. There's, there's some, a lot of good in that. But, it doesn't bring, but you tell me the truth. It doesn't bring a lot of real joy down here. And in the end, we all begin to lose that control. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves someplace a little isolated and a little bitter. And my, my warning to you is don't let it end poorly. You don't need to do that. You need to learn to let go and let God. But in the end, God used Jacob because of who he was and in spite of who he was. God used Jacob because of who Jacob was. It was a vehicle that God worked through, and in spite of who Jacob was. Just like he uses me because of who I am, the gifts he gave me, and in spite of who I am, because I'm an idiot sometimes, right? And so are you, right? I mean, we're all that way. God, God did what he did because God is good, and God works through us and with us and around us sometimes, oftentimes. Because in the end, in the end, is this, that God who is in control, is able to use who we are to accomplish his purposes. That he is sovereign. And God is able to use who we are, whatever that looks like, to accomplish his purposes. And it's an honor to be a part of the story, to be given life. And for God to take my good and my bad and everything in between and use it for his glory. Because that's who he is. I'm proposing for some of us today it's a whole lot better of a journey when along the way we learn to take our, hand, our grip off of things. Not just with God, but with people, with the relationships around us. And let go and let God. And find sweetness that comes in surrender that we're going to have to learn sometime or just stay bitter.